Well, if you're opening your Bible with me, let's go back into 1 Corinthians. Today we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're walking section by section through 1 Corinthians. And we're now in chapter 3 in a message we're going to call Growing Up. As we begin, let me ask you this question. What's the greatest danger to a church family? Is it the hostile culture out there? Is that our greatest danger? Is it some law maybe coming out of Richmond or coming out of Washington? Is that the greatest danger to us? Indeed, there are dangers in the culture outside of here, but even there, we have confidence, even as we watch, because we know that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So what then is the greatest danger to a church? I've been convinced for many years now that the greatest danger to any church is spiritual immaturity in a church that's left unchecked, that's left unaddressed, unchallenged. So what is spiritual immaturity? We could just call it this, lingering worldliness in us. So here's the point. It will not matter what threats we face out in the culture if we're not growing in Christ within the church. Think about what would it matter if we have great threats that even took down the church if we're not growing in the church in our love and devotion to Christ? What will it matter what threats are out there if we're not growing in our love and knowledge of God's word in the body? If we're not loving and encouraging each other, if we're not growing in our dedication to serve Jesus, what would it matter what threats are out there if we're not making disciples within the body of Christ like we've been commanded to do and not if we're not making disciples among the nations? So the case I'm making this morning from the scripture is this, that spiritual growth is urgent. It's urgent to you as an individual. It's urgent for our church that all of us would be growing in Christ. And Paul takes on the lingering immaturity in the church at Corinth here, and we get to listen in and learn from it ourselves. Paul's very concerned. It's been four years since he planted the church in a city called Corinth. He's writing back into them, and he's going to address this immaturity there. So 1 Corinthians 3, let's start with verses 1 through 4. Paul wrote as the Holy Spirit inspired him, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Listen, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So the church in Corinth, they have troubles. And as we noted when we first started this series, they're having people troubles. And we took encouragement from that then, and I hope you're encouraged by that now. So long as we have people in the church, and so long as people have issues, we should expect from time to time to have people issues in the church. That doesn't mean that something's horribly wrong when a couple of members might have some friction with one another because we are people. So think about it, all of your pastors, people, all of our deacons, people, every life group leader, every musician, people, and people have issues. And so from time to time, we're going to have those issues. I thought about it this week on our role of church membership, we have no angels. <laughs> of course, there are fallen angels that could work either way, but we don't have any angels. It's hundred percent human beings. And so again, 
it's, it's kind of normal from time to time to have differences of opinion and all that. Now, thankfully, we don't have anything brewing here at the moment. But when those times come, we don't get alarmed by that. But here's what happens. The quicker we can resolve that issue, the more quickly that we can get our eyes back on Jesus on the mission, that'll reveal how healthy or unhealthy we are as a church. So Paul here is calling out the need for spiritual maturity in Corinth. We're going to take that to heart ourselves. Now, he's going to use several phrases here to call out the immaturity that's lingering there in Corinth. Notice verse 1. He calls them people of the flesh. And he uses that wording because he's just talked about how in Christ now we are spiritual. That God's done this miracle of opening our eyes and now we are spiritual people. But he says of these Corinthians, oh, you're, you're still acting like people of the flesh. You're not spiritually minded like you ought to be. You're not spirit filled like you ought to be people of the flesh. But then did you notice the next thing he says, verse one, he calls them infants in Christ. He says, you're Christian babies is what he said. He said, you're not ready for meat. You're still needing milk. Verse two. Then verse four, he says, you're acting merely human. We're all human. But when Christ comes in, we're now redeemed humans. They're not acting like that. So it's a really bad diagnosis for the church in Corinth. But notice this, Paul does affirm them as believers in Christ. Verse one, he calls them brothers. And he's done so repeatedly here in the first two chapters, even before we got here, repeatedly he calls them brothers. So they're believers, at least the, the vast majority in the church at Corinth. Paul's not questioning their salvation in every case. He tells them in verse one that they are in Christ. But he says, you're infants in Christ. So it's a rebuke. It's a loving rebuke to them. But notice here, Paul's very disappointed. They should be farther along by now than they are. In fact, it's very disappointing in light of what he had just said at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 16, we have him saying, we have the mind of Christ. That was the great culmination of what he just said. He says, but Corinthians... You're not acting like you have the mind of Christ. Merely human, infants in Christ, you're not growing, you can't even handle the meat of Scripture. Let's remind ourselves what it means to have the mind of Christ. It means that God has disclosed to you his glorious wisdom in the cross of Jesus Christ. Contrary to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God is seen at the cross that we just celebrated together. That he's made you alive in Christ by the working of his spirit. That in Christ now, to have the mind of Christ means you have a new mindset. You have new values. You have a brand new worldview. You're thinking and you're acting more like Jesus now that you're in Christ. That you're seeing and you're reacting to the world and everything that happens now through a biblical lens. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Paul said, we have it. But Corinthians, you're not acting like that. You're not operating by that mind. So they were spiritually immature. And Paul's letting them know it shows. You should be much farther along now. In the four years since your church was planted, and I'm now writing back to you, you're still acting as infants. And what's happening there that's showing the immaturity most notably is their jealousy and strife. That they are divided there in Corinth for all the wrong reasons. And so their division is evidence of their spiritual immaturity. So think about this. Paul's writing to a church, to people who are actively involved in a church. And he's saying to them, you haven't grown. 
So let it be a reminder to us that just to be a member of the church does not mean you are progressing spiritually. Even to be actively involved, like you're, you're very involved in the programs of a church, does not necessarily mean that you have grown. The passage of time does not guarantee that a person has matured. And we know this in the natural life, don't we? I bet you've met grown-ups, grown men and women, who are very, very immature. Maybe you've met somebody with gray hair who still wants to be first all the time. Maybe you've met somebody, a grown-up, who throws temper tantrums. Maybe you know an adult who pouts, who throws, throws things, holds grudges. That might be kind of cute at age two, but you wouldn't want to see that in a 12-year-old or a 32-year-old or an 82-year-old. So we're just making the point, the passage of time alone does not mature a person. So in our family, we're excited. We'll be welcoming another grandson into the family next month. Can't wait to meet him. And we're going to expect of this little boy that he's going to be very immature for quite a while. We're not going to expect much from him, but to eat, sleep, look cute, and grow physically all too fast. But we are expecting that he's going to cry a lot. He's going to demand food. He's going to demand attention. And all of it's going to be so age appropriate. But we're not going to want him to act the same way when he's 12, when he's 16, when he's 18, when he's, when he's 38. If he's still acting the way at 38, we've got a family in dysfunction. Because we'll all care about him. He'll be graduating off doing something. But we'll all be like, this is a crisis. He's in another crisis. Time didn't mature him. So he just reminds us, before we get back to the church, the role of parenting with the children that are entrusted to us is very critical. Because they just won't mature by, let's just wait them out. There's an active role that parents play. So they love their children. That's commanded by Scripture. They're going to feed them physically. They're going to teach them. They're going to have to discipline in appropriate biblical ways. They're going to have to model what maturity looks like. But there's a key spiritual role that a Christian parent must engage in. They can't merely focus on, well, I want my child to be academically successful, athletically successful, and there my job is done. They'll be a good citizen. A Christian family has a mandate from God to, to grow up this child in Christ. We can't make them be saved. We can't make them be disciples, but we are to set the stage with the goal that when we launch them out, they are disciples who are ready to go make disciples of others. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so a Christian family, a lot of things we're doing but at the top of the list, oh, I want my child to know Jesus. Oh, I want my child to love Jesus. I'm going to teach that in. I'm going to model that in. I can't make them do it, but I want to set them up so that they can embrace him early and follow him faithfully for the rest of their lives. Just making the point that in a family with maturity, if that's one of our goals, we, we're active in that. And Paul here writes to the Corinthians as a spiritual father. He was the one that God used to plant the church in Corinth, and he's, he's concerned about them. He's lovingly trying to spur them on toward Christ, to grow in Christ, to more and more show the mind of Christ rather than their lingering worldliness. Now, the Corinthian immaturity was showing itself in obvious and detrimental ways. Here, Paul singles out jealousy 
and strife. There was division in the church at Corinth. They were rallying in the names of Paul. Others were rallying in the name of Apollos, some in the name of Cephas, and others were just rallying in the name of Christ. He calls it out here again in verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So let's think together for a few moments about some of those common marks of immaturity. And all of these common marks of immaturity were there in the church at Corinth. And we're going to see those taken on in the chapters that follow over the months ahead. But here Paul says, jealousy and strife. You know that in yourself, right? When you see somebody who has something you wish you had, and you feel that temptation of jealousy or envy rise up in you, you act on that if you have maturity. If you're a believer, you're like, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> I shouldn't be jealous of somebody else. And so, Lord, would you forgive me for that? Would you bless that person even more? They didn't take it from me. I'm glad. Would you just continue to bless them more than, than that? Even if you bless them more than I'm blessed, you know to fight that in yourself. But if you give in to jealousy and envy and you let that stew there, you're just showing, well, I am just still an infant in Christ. That word strife, are you one known for that? I, I like to stir the pot. I like to see people fight. I, every place I go, I want to see that kicked up. That would not be a mature thing. But in the Corinthians, they had the problem. Selfishness, self-centeredness, arrogance, and ignorance. All these would be marks of spiritual immaturity. In fact, just think about pride for a moment. The, the Corinthians had a lot of pride. Paul, Paul's trying to get them back in their place. They think they're very wise, but you're, you're actually infants. But pride messes up everything in your life. It almost negates everything. So where if you have a lot of things going well in your life, but you now become puffed up and you think you're superior to somebody else, no matter what those good things are that you're feeling great about, now they become toxic in your relationship. So let's just play with this a moment. Let's just imagine this scenario. Now, the illustration I'm about to give, I have nobody in mind in the church. And you know, as your pastor, I look around while I'm preaching and my eyes might meet your eyes when I'm saying one of these things that's coincidental. Why did he look at me when he said that? Because I got to look at somebody. I don't, it's, not, it's not you. It's not you. But let's imagine if we had a brother or sister in the church who was really growing strong in their biblical knowledge. That's a great thing. But in that biblical knowledge, they started feeling superior to everybody else. Well, now that becomes a problem. Imagine in church we have somebody who's actually, they're, they're growing in holiness. They're, they're growing to turn away from some sins and they're becoming more faithful in their behavior. And that's a great thing. But with that growth in holiness and righteousness, they start to think they're superior to other people in the church. Well, wow, that good thing just became a bad thing once you threw pride in there. Or maybe somebody's, not only that, they, they're growing in biblical knowledge, they're walking in the light rather than in darkness, and they're serving in a number of key ways in the church. And due to their service, they begin to think they're superior to other people in the church. Those wonderful qualities now mixed with arrogance, well, that's now hurtful to the body. So we don't, we don't want to be those ways. The, the Corinthians had become arrogant. We'll see as we get deeper into this due to spiritual gifts and other things. They got prideful. And Paul here lovingly, as a father, is trying to humble them. He's rebuking them in love that they would grow up truly in Christ to think more like Christ. So let's apply this to ourselves now. Are there ways in your life in which you might see now that you still have lingering immaturity in you? Is God bringing anything to mind? So let's, let's look at jealousy and strife. Do you see that in you? Selfishness, self-centeredness, or arrogance and ignorance. 
That's an interesting combination is arrogance and ignorance. And that's what the Corinthians had. They didn't realize how much they didn't know. They're really proud. And usually when you're arrogant, you're blind to all those areas where you still need to grow. We just want to root that out of ourselves. How about some other ways to ask this question? Are you thinking like the world rather than operating with the mind of Christ? That was the Corinthian problem. Are you thinking like the world rather than operating by the mind of Christ? How about this? Are there some views you have that are different from what the Bible teaches you. You would say, I, I know what the Bible says on this topic, but I think differently than that. That's spiritual immaturity. That's arrogance also, by the way, that you believe that you know better than God, you know better than the scriptures, and you're gonna have a different take on something than the Lord. That is profound, profound immaturity, disobedience. It's very serious. How about this, another question. Do you seek to be served rather than seeking to serve like Christ? Do you hold grudges rather than seeking to forgive like Christ? Do you stir up drama and strife in others rather than seeking to be an agent of reconciliation like Christ? Do you lust after temporary things rather than embracing a passion to sacrifice for what's eternal like Christ? For you, is church involvement merely extracurricular rather than a major in your life? Yeah, I'll, I'll come to church when there's nothing better to do. If I got nothing else on my plate, I'll work it in sometimes. That would be immaturity. Or how about this, that you have no appetite for the meat of God's word. You're satisfied with just milk. It could be a person that goes, yeah, I hear a little scripture on Sunday when Jim preaches. I'll be back next Sunday. That's enough for me. I'll hear a little bit more when Jim talks. I might even listen to a Christian song this week and they might have a little part of a verse in that song. That's enough for me. That would be, wait a minute, by now, shouldn't you be able, shouldn't you be hungering now for a little more than that? A lot more than that. That would never do if you're maturing. Or how about this? Would you, would you just examine yourself? One final question on this note. Would you say, after all these years, do you still feel like I wouldn't even know where to start to lead another person to Jesus? I've been a Christian a long time, but I wouldn't know where to help a new believer to learn how to handle the Bible. I wouldn't know how to tell them how to pray. I don't know how to do that. So after all these years, is that still you? Oh, we, we need to grow. I'm making the case it's an urgent necessity for all of us to grow spiritually, to grow up in the mind of Christ. And those questions I'm asking you were not designed to condemn you. But to, to hopefully all of us to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I, I need your spirit to keep me growing. I don't want to stop here. I see that I'm not fully done yet spiritually. I want you to continue this work of sanctification until you call me home. So, Lord, I will yield to you. My prayer is that you'll make a commitment. Oh, Lord, I need your word. And my flesh fights against it, but I need your word every day. I need your word. And so would you commit today? Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to guard it that I might walk through books of the Bible chapter by chapter that I might understand your mind and live it out in the world. And, and I believe also God could lead some of you to say, I'm going to take my next step and I'm going to begin to actually serve the Lord. Not just hear all this information, but I need to serve. And so in your life group, spur each other on to grow. And you could even out of a life group, join a grow group, just several of you saying, hey, let's, let's get together during the week and let's, let's memorize scripture together. Let's learn how to handle the Bible together. Something like that. Those are beautiful things happening in the life of the church. And of course, reach out to us. We'd love to help you with that. So we're just making the point. There is a need 
a critical need for spiritual maturity in all of us. And then here in the Corinthian context, they had a need also to know how do you relate to spiritual leaders? How do you relate to spiritual leaders? He takes that on next in verse five. Paul writes, what then is Apollos and what is Paul servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, your God's field, God's building. Paul makes the point here that God had given the church various leaders to build them up there in Corinth. But these same Corinthians were invoking the name of these leaders to tear the church down and apart. He brings up what he had already started talking about back in chapter one, verse 10. Do you remember this? Chapter one, verse 10. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And of course, we talked about it when we first came to that, that Paul had no part in this divisiveness. Neither did Apollos. We don't know that Cephas, Peter, ever actually made it to Corinth, but he certainly wouldn't have been a part of this. And we know our Savior has no part in dividing up his church. So Paul teaches them then, what are these leaders and what do they do and who brings growth? So what are leaders is what he brings up first here. He said, what is Apollos? What's Paul? He says, here's what we are. We're servants. We're just servants. And he uses that Greek word diakonos or the plural diakonoi. It's our word that you can hear the word deacon in it. And in the life of our church, we have deacons. That's one of the biblical roles. We have pastors and we have deacons and our deacons are wonderful and they have a very much a behind the scenes role typically. And so they help out with things like benevolence. So if we have a family going through a tough financial time, our deacons can take a look at that need and be able to help out some short-term needs there for a family. It's beautiful behind the scenes serving work in the church. They also try to touch base with people in the hospitals. Also people going through times of bereavement. They want to give another touch there. And if you're one of the members of the church, you received some time back a deacon visit. A couple of deacons or a deacon and his wife came to see you, to welcome you to the church family. Beautiful serving ministry. That, that, that term deacon just means service. And it's in that sense that Paul picks up the term. He doesn't mean he's in the office of deacon. He's an apostle. We know that. But he said, I have the mentality I'm a, I'm a servant. What's, what's Apollos? We're just servants here. We're not to be the focus. We're not to be exalted. In fact, this is what Jesus taught us about spiritual leadership in places like Mark 10, 42. Listen to the words of Jesus. And Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So our leadership in a church is to be spiritual servant leadership. 
And that's not at all how the world operates with servant leadership. Here we are in a political season, a political season that really never ends, but more and more men and women are jumping in to potentially be president. And you hear the political pundits praise certain character qualities of these. And sometimes one of the qualities that's praised is, oh, she's a fighter or he's a fighter. This one will punch back. He's punch. He's punching back. And we say, I get it. I mean, I get it in politics. This is a tough It's a tough field. You can't be weak. I understand that. But those same descriptors, we would not want of our spiritual leaders. So we shouldn't be bragging on our pastors. Oh, he's a fighter. You punch him, he'll punch back. He he will return evil for evil. You know, (laughs) we want none of that. We would flee from leadership like that. What's Paul say? I'm servant. I'm a servant. Don't, don't rally in my name. I'm just a servant. What's Apollos? He's a great guy. He's a servant too. One commentator said it this way. He said, authority in the church, truly Christian authority, comes from those who lay down their lives for their brethren in service and availability. Any other authority is worldly authority and is to be rejected. So when we fight as believers, we're fighting against our own sin nature. That's a fight. We'll fight the good fight in that sense, but we're not fighting other people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. And so what are leaders? They are servants. Why are they given to the church? Well, they have an assignment from God to do. Why do we have them? What do they do? They plant and they water. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul makes the point that he and Apollos were equal, though they had different roles. One planted, that would be Paul. He was the one that God chose to to get it started there in Corinth as he brought the gospel there with some of his associates. Then Apollos came sometime later, this very gifted brother, and he watered there in the city of Corinth. Neither one of them more important than the other. Both of them vital and necessary. And we know this if we know anything about gardening at all. Here with this agricultural metaphor here. So we know this, that a person who plants is very important with the garden. But if you don't have somebody watering, if there's never any water after that planting, we have no crop. It's a complete failure. So the one planting and the one watering, important. We also know this, if you came along a piece of ground and nobody ever planted there, it'd be foolish if you started watering there. What are you hoping to grow? Mud? That's all you'll get. There's no seed there, but I'm just going to keep watering that. So Paul just makes the point, I have no pride here. I had a role to play. And so did Apollos, and God is growing up his church. Notice this, God makes the point through Paul that only God grows churches. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So maybe you've heard at a conference or somebody's described some leader and said, oh, he grew that church from 14 in his living room to 4,000. Look what he did. Look at that church he grew. The, the leader who hears that should have everything in him wanting to say, oh, no, please don't word it like that. Because I just planted, I just watered. But if it grew, it grew by the hand of God. Only God can cause things like that to grow. Paul said, I'm a servant just did my job. God was causing the growth and he'll reward in some way as he chooses in the future. Paul was not prideful here and he models something very important for us. If anybody in this equation had a reason maybe to feel proud, to feel threatened by Apollos being talked about, it would be Paul. But Paul's not acting threatened here. 
Paul could be the guy saying, look, you should, be, you should be praising me. I started the church. Why are you even bringing up Apollos? I started this thing. But no hint of that here. Look, I planted, Apollos watered, God's doing all the work. So let's apply this to ourselves as well. How should we relate to spiritual leaders? First of all, don't divide in their names. Don't divide in their names. And of course, I don't think that's a temptation here within a local church like that. But I think it is a bit of a temptation as we think about the broader Christian community and some of the Bible teachers out there and podcasters and authors. We could on occasion be tempted to kind of become a groupie of one of them to where we think we're superior by association with a favorite author or pastor. So in other words, somebody could be of the mindset, well, I'm, a, I'm of MacArthur. I know I'm of Piper. I'm of Keller. No, I'm of, I'm of David Jeremiah. I'm of Adrian Rogers. And then people can kind of rank each other. Oh, you, you don't read Sproul? You're, you're listening to David Jeremiah? Well, y'all don't know if you're as sophisticated as I am. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm just start ranking people. We can begin to thinking we're somehow superior. And by doing so, even though I may be reading some great stuff, hearing some great sermons by some really good men, we could be showing, well, actually, I'm not as mature as I was trying to project that I am because I somehow think I'm better by association. Let's don't do that. Secondly, don't exalt or idolize any servant of the Lord. Those who are serving in spiritual leadership, they're not doing it for themselves. If they're healthy, we should exalt Christ alone. But then conversely, don't mistreat the spiritual leader like the Corinthian church did to Paul. The fact that Paul's being dragged into this, they were expressing disdain for Paul on, on some occasions. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, Paul said, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So there were some in Corinth saying, Paul is not impressive at all. He's weak. He's got these impressive letters but he can't even speak well. So we don't exalt leaders, but we don't tear them down either. But here's what we ought to do. We should participate with leaders in cultivating the church and helping others grow within the church. I love verse nine. Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul continues this metaphor of agriculture, planting and watering. Who are the Corinthians? Well, the Corinthian church is God's field. I love that it's all God's. Every one of the servants belongs to God. Every one of God's people belongs to him. The church is his, all for his glory. And so as you and I here in this one local church, we're all to be serving here. We understand this is God's field and I have a role to play. It's not just the leaders. What should I do with the leaders? Love them and encourage them, but but we're brothers and sisters. They're not better than me. And so now what do we do? Well, we all have a role to play here in the church. We're all planting. We're all watering. This is important, important for our perspective on how we treat each other, but how we should serve alongside one another. It's been a number of years ago now. A number of our members went to Connecticut on a short-term short mission trip. It was mostly our choir members. They were going to serve in a lot of hands-on way with a really faithful church planner and his wife up in, up in Connecticut. And I joined sometime later in the week. They'd done most of the hard work by the time I got there, but I came to join the work up there. And what was striking was this, very impressed with the church planner and his wife, very impressed with our choir members just serving in so many ways, but I didn't meet a single church member the whole time I was up there. Even asking our choir members, did, did you meet any church members? Great church planner and his wife. Where are the other people? We've sent volunteers from Virginia to help out, but there's no buy-in from the congregation. 
should be no surprise. The rest of the story is it wasn't long before that church didn't exist anymore without people serving alongside the leaders. And you and I understand differently here. No, this is this doesn't belong to the leaders. This belongs to the Lord. It's his field. And that means all of us have a role to play here. We all have an assignment in God's field serving here. And so do you have a role here in serving? This week I was talking to Pastor Dustin. Of course, we've already made known that we need some additional children's ministry subs for the summer as our regular servants in the children's ministry who do so much. They'll be taking some weeks of vacation during the summer as is normal. We just need extra hands in there to help out as we make disciples of these young people. But he also let me know this week that as he anticipates the fall, that we're going to need 10 additional children's ministry workers, like faithful week-in, week-out children's ministry folks. And as we think about that, that should be easy, a church our size, to get 10 more serving alongside the many others who are serving. But, but again, I want to put that before you because maybe that's your move today. Like, I need to keep growing. And maybe your next step is to begin serving. And because, because so much spiritual growth happens as you step out of comfort zones to do something inconvenient. It requires a sacrifice. It's much easier not to serve. But that, I think God's leading me to take my next step to serve. And there's a, there's a need right there. There'll be other needs in the life of the church as well, but there's a glaring one. Nothing more important than making disciples of the next generation. And so consider serving in a place like that. So we've made the point today that it is critical that we all grow spiritually. Would you today ask the Lord to grow you, to take your next steps in growing, to spur each other on to spiritual growth, to bless each other and love each other and point each other to Christ to find your place of planting and watering in this church, but also in the community and even being available should God call you to the nations with the gospel, that you would be faithful to follow him there as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we once again bow before you. This is your church, your field. We are grateful to have a part in the body, to be, to be loved children of yours to also have these roles of serving you. Keep us, Lord, in the posture of servants, never mistaking whose church it is. Lord, I pray that today by your word and by your spirit, nobody would be left in any level of spiritual apathy or atrophy. God, we want to grow. We want to grow in this mind of Christ that we've been reading about. We want to serve you with humility, but also fruitfulness like we see here in, in men like Paul and Apollos and others. So Lord, would you do your work through your word now? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.